Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Family Sanctuary, a show that inspires living the gospel message in word and deed within our families. And now, Family Sanctuary with host Peggy Hartshorn. Welcome to the Family Sanctuary, a production of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. I'm your host, Peggy Hartshorn, Chairman of the Board of Heartbeat International that advances life-affirming pregnancy help around the world. And today we have guests that I think you'll really enjoy, Dr. Perry Cahal and his wife, Marissa. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Thank you for being here. We've done several programs with Dr. Perry, and now we're we're doing a, a series also with Perry and his wife, Marissa, on marriage and on couple relationships. And um, what subject could be more important, I believe, for the family sanctuary? If, if the family is going to be the sanctuary of life, as God intended, a place where every life is sacred and people understand who God created them to be and can live that out in a healthy and fruitful way, it's got to start with the married couple. It really does. So I love the fact that we can really pursue these issues of marriage. And, you know, it's not an idealistic world we're we're portraying here. We're trying to portray the reality of the struggle that we have in in leading the marriage that God would have us lead uh, if we're called to that vocation. So let me fully more fully introduce our guest. Dr. Perry Cahal is a professor of historical theology and the academic dean of the School of Theology at P- the Pontifical College Josephinum here in Columbus. And his wife, Marissa, has a PhD in psychology, and she also teaches seminarians at the Josephinum. Uh, but their real credentials that they're bringing into the subject of our programs is that they have been married for 17 years, and they uh, are are part of the parish of St. Michael's in Worthington, Ohio, and they have two children, 13-year-old and a 17-year-old. So they really are grappling (laughs) with, with with the ideal of marriage with the call that the Lord has placed on us when we uh, choose the vocation of marriage and make those marriage vows, uh, they're grappling with the beauty of it and the reality of it on a day-to-day basis. So uh, welcome again to the program. I'm really uh, happy to pursue the topic with you, and you'll find other programs uh, on this topic in our archives. Now, today we're going to, to deal with a topic that is particularly interesting, I think, in light of the fascination that we all have with these beautiful fantasy weddings, uh, like the royal weddings, for instance, of uh, Harry and Meghan and Will and Kate, and the phenomenal attraction and the coverage uh, that that we experience of these these fairy tale weddings, of fairy tale marriages. So we're focusing on romanticism versus realism in marriage for our topic today. Romanticism versus realism, and. Why do we love the romanticism of these fairy tale weddings? And, you know, I think it's, it's really, I, I think it's good in some ways because it shows that God has planted deep in our hearts the desire for the beauty of, of a marriage, of a prince charming and a, and, and a, pr- who treats his wife as a princess and a princess who treats her husband as a prince, you know? <laughs> and when we see a real, uh, at least a titled prince and princess, we think, oh, wow, that's the way it should be. But uh, what about the reality of that? Is, is, it, is it true romance? 
uh, or is it just romanticism? So let's pursue that a little bit. Perry, I know you've got some thoughts on this. You and I have chatted about it a little bit. Sure. I, I think you're right, first of all, that, that there's something positive in the, the kind of attention that the royal weddings get. I mean, it shows that deep down, everybody has a desire to realize a love that lasts. Mm-hmm. Right? A, a, a beautiful love. A beautiful love. Mm-hmm. A love where once, where you feel cherished by the other and you found somebody that's your heart's desire and... um there's something positive in, in that type of attention. The people desire that, yeah. yes. My concern about the, the, you know, the attention that these royal weddings get is whether it's, it is based in some type of realism or whether it just is fantasy world. We were sitting watching some of the coverage with, um, with our daughter, who's 13, and she turned to me and she said, Dad, you know, why is everybody so worked up about this? <laughs> she, said, uh, she said, it's pretty, and you know, they do a lot, lot of pomp and circumstance, and it's kind of neat to see, but why is everybody so into this. I said, well, you know, I think maybe it just re- represents some type of fantasy, you know, and, and people like fantasy. And, and, um, as soon as I said that, what popped up on the screen was the fairy tale wedding of Harry and Megan. And she looked at me <laughs> and she's like, wow, my dad's you know, so smart. Yeah. Isn't that nice? <laughs> but you know, therein lies the problem that, that they would, they cover it as the fairy tale wedding. By definition, fairy tales don't exist. Mm-hmm. You know, so people are, are enraptured and enthralled by something that, that has this kind of veneer of reality when in fact, you know, what they're infatuated by is the emotionality and the, mm-hmm. and the pomp and circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, fairy tales don't exist. Yeah. Mar- marriage is not, is never happily ever after it's committed ever after. That's and it what, can be happy, it, and sure. it can be joyful. That's right. And and I think every person who gets married has a reasonable expectation of being happy in their married. I mean, I didn't get married because I wanted to be miserable, and I hope right. the rest of didn't either. <laughs> right. um, but the the reality is that, you know, you experience the joy of married life through the ups and downs, through the joys and the sorrows. It's not a life of emotional, consistently good feelings. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of couples lull themselves into thinking that that's what it should be. Yeah. You know, the fairy tale wedding. What does that mean? I think it, you know, everything's always sunshine and happiness and mm-hmm. flowers and, you know, that's not life. Right. And I think my, the, my concern is that when couples do experience difficult times, which will inevitably come and it's come soon mm-hmm. in married life, that they start to doubt whether they've married the right person. Well, if yes. I just really found my Prince Charming then I wouldn't be having these problems. And they start to doubt. You tricked me. Yes, they start to doubt me. him, They start her, they start to doubt their relationship, they start to doubt marriage and whether they've made a mistake. Um, and I think that's that's my concern about the type of coverage that was surrounded that event mm-hmm. and, and the type of infatuation people mm-hmm. have with those events. Interestingly, though, at least they know the reality of the royal marriages yes, <laughs> in history. Correct. I mean, it, we love the fact that Elizabeth and Philip had been married for what? Over 70 oh, years. Yes. Yeah. And what an example of commitment and of ups and downs in, in marriage. And that, that's been lived out publicly. Yes. So at least they do have that as, a, as an example of commitment, as, as well as many other fantasy weddings that didn't turn out well, unfortunately. So, yeah, it's it's an amazing thing to me, too, how we are so attracted to the romance uh, and the romanticism. And most girls want to have a fairy tale wedding. Uh, but we talked a little bit about a definition of what we mean by romanticism, over-idealization of married life. But yet romance, there's nothing wrong with romance in a marriage, is there? Not at all. <laughs> 
So how do you see this all, Marissa? I mean, you, as you teach seminarians, uh, I suppose some of them have some unrealistic attitudes uh, as well. Many people grow up with a sure. sense that, uh, well, the marriages they saw weren't ideal, and I'm going to have an ideal marriage. Well, for individuals who are committed to that, that's wonderful that they remain steadfastly committed to having a permanent marriage. The question is, if they come from a background where perhaps there was divorce, um, that they didn't perhaps learn the problem-solving skills or the conflict resolution skills to know how to handle those bumps in the road when they will inevitably occur. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's one thing to watch these, you know, these fairy tale images and to think that every day of married life will be like that, but we know that there won't always be the uh sort of this this glowing flower-filled uh venue every day after the actual wedding day. And so people need to realize that that real life, although it can be wonderfully happy and joyous, um, there are days where that where that requires a little bit more work and a little bit more sure, commitment. sure. And and we've talked on other programs about the importance of communication. That um, that when you go through these periods, well, in marriage encounter, my husband and I have been active in marriage encounter for many many years. Uh, we talk about cycles of romance, disillusionment, and joy. So when you get into a period of disillusionment, I mean, it's important that you recognize, okay, this is a stage. This doesn't have to be permanent. How do we resolve these things? How do we communicate about this? How do we get back to the romance that we have had in our relationship and to the joy of of a marriage which has normal ups and downs? <laughs> We've got to learn how to do this. We've got to make a commitment that we want to... Uh, we want to figure this out. Yeah. Well, one way is for couples to talk about you know, how they've been feeling. What have their thoughts and feelings been lately? Has there been a particular incident or a particular uh, stage that has been the reason for the feelings that they've been having? But then after talking about those, also trying to reconnect, what was it that they first saw in this person? What trying to recall, you know, what was that early romantic stage like? What were the things that first attracted them to their spouse? And perhaps that means uh, taking some time, just the two of them, away from the uh, work and the children and the daily responsibilities and going out for an evening and sort of rekindling that original uh, romance and getting back to that stage. Yes, exactly. Mm, I've heard couples talk about that. They have a regular babysitter every Friday night. That's date night or Thursday night or whatever. It's important, yes, to to recall the things that attracted you to your spouse in the beginning. And those things, generally speaking, are still there. Yes, of course. But sometimes there's been hurt, disillusionment. And I, I love what you say about starting with the feelings. How am I feeling lately? And sharing, this is how I feel. And and I think maybe it started when and and how can we resolve this? How can I be a better wife? Yeah, I see you shaking your head, Perry. Yeah. <laughs> you? and I think all of that's part of you know showing reverence for your spouse and constantly maintaining the relationship. It's it, being able to communicate about how you're feeling is it's. I think it's more difficult for men than women innately, and men need to learn to do it because if they don't, then you're gonna you'll end up having a lot of hurt in your marriage and you'll have a wife who's resentful, right? Or a wife who's constantly feeling discouraged. 
that somehow you need to rekindle romance in the authentic sense, right? By being being willing and vulnerable to communicate how it is you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can't do that, things will be, will go rather rough. Mm-hmm. You know? And those I messages are so important. You know, it's not you make me feel this Correct. way. Correct. I feel sad or right. I feel lonely. Um, I feel left out. Um, and, and in marriage encounter, we teach feelings are neither right nor wrong. This is an authentic feeling that I have. It's a physical sensation that I have. Uh, and there are reasons why I feel that way. And, and let's talk about that. Yeah. Being vulnerable with each other. And you mentioned earlier the the definition of romanticism. I think part of the essence of romanticism is, is that it's overly sentimental. It's almost obsessively focused on feelings and seeing this is the kind of basis for the relationship and, and in particular good feelings. I have to you know, feel happy all the time. Correct. So if, if somehow the, I'm experiencing disenchantment or negative feelings in the relationship then somehow the romance has died or the married love has died and couples need to realize no, that's not the case. You're just human. <laughs> right? You're both flawed human beings and it's impossible to go through life together for any amount of time without experiencing ups and downs in your emotional life. Right, right. And and we, we've touched on the topic of conflict. That's another important point that we want to talk about on the program. Not just what is romance. We've been talking about what is romance and and that romance romanticism or the over idealization uh, of of romantic love should not be the basis of the marriage. Right. But romance can continue. In a relationship, right. we can nurture it, we can plan for it, we can have romantic times together, as long as we're really honest about our feelings and trying to understand why we feel a certain way. Uh, and and so it's important to understand romance to, to have its rightful place in a marriage. But the second important point is that conflict and negative feelings are not necessarily bad. All right. Um, so so let's focus on that a little bit. By the way, as we enter into this topic, I want to reintroduce our guests, Perry and Marissa Cahal, who both actually teach at the Pontifical uh, College Josephinum here in Columbus. And um, they've been married for 17 years, the parents of two children, 16 and 13. And they uh, are in St. Michael's Parish. They are living out there, struggling with, they're trying to figure out in their own relationship and help other people understand what God really calls us to in the vocation of marriage. And it's not an over-romanticism, you know, but that doesn't mean that there's not romance in our marriage. Let's focus in on this idea that conflict is not necessarily bad. And how do we fight for our relationship? All right, how does that work out, even in your in your relationship? I'll start, and I want my wife to say more about this, but I think... First of all, relating this conflict to the concept of romanticism, I think because romanticism is overly concerned with the positive feel-goodness of married life, romanticism is unable to deal with conflict. When conflict or or some type of imperfection becomes apparent in the relationship, romanticism wants to avoid it. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, the impulse is to say, well, because I'm feeling this way, this negative way, then something must be wrong. And and ultimately, I think couples are tempted to somehow bail on the relationship or close in on themselves. Um, that's not a healthy way of dealing with conflict. And romanticism doesn't have the the if you want to say the fiber, you know, the strength to deal with it. Sure, but. it's also 
the fact that many times people come into a marriage thinking that they'll always agree, that they will always be on the same page about every issue. And, and just reality, automatically. That's exactly right. <laughs> and the reality is that there are going to be disagreements. They won't always see eye to eye on everything. And in fact, as they age, as things change, there may be many disagreements. But that's not necessarily the a bad thing. It just means that they're two different people. But again, the communication and being open and willing to talk about it, and it doesn't necessarily mean that one spouse is going to convince the other person to come over to their side, but maybe they find a compromise. Maybe there's some way of each individual giving and taking some so that they can reach a satisfactory way of facing this issue or this conflict together. So, but it's not necessarily... Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you know this isn't the right person or that they don't have an unhappy marriage. It just means that you know on this particular issue they disagree. Mm-hmm. So it's important for couples to continue to communicate and to work through this and to talk about it. Yeah, and, not to push all these conflicts under the carpet, so to speak, yes. or or be a don't rock the boat type Correct. person Correct. because that just keeps things simmering. Right. right. Yeah. And, and the just, conflicts are never resolved. Correct. And that breeds a lot of resentment, which grows over time. And you know, a lot of time in couples counseling, uh, there's resentment and bitterness and anger that's been building for decades among couples who have been married that long. And so the question is, well, why you know, didn't that spouse you know, bring this up however many years ago that this occurred? Uh, or then would, the spouse might say, well, I did bring it up, but yes. you just ignored it. Exactly. <laughs> so I stopped bringing it right. up. It was dismissed. So <laughs> it's important for both to verbalize those thoughts and those feelings when they occur and also for the other spouse to be open to hearing them and open to working to resolving them. Mm-hmm. That's normal. Conflict in a relationship is normal, yes. right? right. V- versus the concept of romanticism, where we should both always have just a smile on our face and be just happy about everything. <laughs> right. If, if you really think that marriage is happily ever after with no turbulence at all, anytime you meet those that turbulence, you experience waves on the placid sea of your relationship. <laughs> you're going to start thinking, be tempted to think, well. I guess I didn't find my princess. I guess I didn't find my Prince Charming. And I guess maybe I should look some more. I I made a mistake and we need to end this relationship and I need to find the perfect person. Right. And and that's, as I said, that's my concern with the kind of romantic buildup around all of the coverage of of big public weddings Mm -hmm. is that there's a lack of realism. You know, these people are going to experience difficulties. It's Mm -hmm. inevitable. They're human. Right. So and and isn't it amazing how how people yet are still drawn to marriage and yeah. drawn to the the beauty of the wedding? Yes, because that God placed that in our hearts. It's to, celebrating something good. Absolutely, right. and um, so so well. Let's talk about the antidote, kind of, to over romanticism sure. in a relationship. What what is the antidote to that? I mean, we have talked about facing into conflict. Uh, we've talked about sharing feelings and not putting things under the carpet. Um, and and if things have, have reached a, a difficult point in the marriage, seeking counseling yeah. to help that, you know, to, to really help couples learn to start communicating again. Um, but but a romanticism is all about self, isn't it? It's it's the the beautiful bride the yeah. the handsome groom the uh this person is going to meet all of my needs this person is going to treat me as a princess for the rest of my life or uh i will treat him as the prince for the rest of his life 
it's all about the ideal person, right? Yeah. <laughs> What's what is the antidote to that? Well, I think you know. It, I think you've identified <laughs> if romanticism really is about the self. It's about egoism. It's mm-hmm. about how my ideal existence and how this person is going to make me happy. Ultimately, I think that's what it boils down to. The antidote to that is self-sacrificial love. I mean, we've talked about real in, love. In, in, what in, real love is? Yes, we we talked about in previous sessions how you know. The, the definition of love is willing the good of another. Married love is, is existing with all that I am in, in the state of self-donation for my spouse, reciprocal self-donation. That's the antidote to romanticism. And realizing that sometimes that's going to involve difficulty. It's going to involve, involve sacrifice. It may involve at times in married life suffering, but it still can lead to joy. Right, mm-hmm. Liv- Living in a way which tries to seek the good of the other in my family leads to a deep peace and a joy that's much beyond the romantic vision of what can you do for me, right? Mm. Or how can my life be perfect? It's important also to remember that we can't place our life's happiness just upon this person that I've married to make me happy. So we have to look externally. We have to look to the Lord that to find our sense of self-worth, to find our true happiness. We can't depend upon this person to give that to us. And so that's one of the things that uh, that faith can bring to a marriage that's centered around uh the Lord is that, you know, it's a much deeper sense, a much more spiritual sense of happiness. From the beginning, I think that the pre-Cana weekends try to focus on looking at the marriage, preparing for the marriage, focusing upon the marriage that happens after the wedding day, not just everything that's leading up just to that wedding day, all the details. And so it's important for engaged couples to think not just about the details of the wedding day, but preparing for a lifelong marriage. So it's important to focus on those as well. And if someday they realize that they do need some assistance, not to be afraid to look for resources, to talk to their priest, to talk to a marriage counselor who's skilled and trained in mediating some of these discussions that are beneficial for the health of their marriage. It doesn't imply that they have failed in some way. It doesn't imply any weakness, just that they might benefit from from coaching and some assistance in these dialogues that need Mm -hmm. to happen. And isn't it so true today when there have been so many broken marriages that a lot of people who are going into marriages today, young married couples, have not had really good role models in right. terms of problem solving and, uh, and, and really good communication in their lives. So they're coming into the marriage um, probably not with the skills that they really need. No, and, and, and everybody, you know, we've touched on this previously, everybody who gets married wants to be happy. Nobody wants to be miserable. But I want to pick up on something my wife said. Nobody can, no one person can make another person happy. I mean, I don't think my wife fell prey to this, but if she at one in, in, for one instant thought that I had what it takes to make her happy in the deepest recesses of her being, she's living as one disappointed woman. Right? <laughs> I mean, I can't do that. I don't have the resources to do that for her nor she for me, right? The, the only person in the universe who can do that is Jesus, period, right? So if, if a couple doesn't realize that going into marriage, if they really think that this is about, has the ability to make them happy, they're going to be disappointed. And I think that's the real danger of romanticism. Mm-hmm. Right? You're not going to find ultimate happiness in this relationship. No matter how good that relationship may be, it's impossible. It's pointing to something deeper and truer, which is the love of God. Mm-hmm. Marriage is, is supposed to be a signpost pointing us to that ultimate loving relationship. Right. And if we know who we are 
as created in the image and likeness of God, but also we realize that we are flawed people, then we're much more realistic about ourselves going into the marriage and about the other person as well. Correct. So truly knowing that we're loved, knowing that the, the fullness of of feeling loved comes from our relationship with the Lord. He's the only perfect spouse, (laughs) right? Then we're not laying that burden on the other person, you know? So uh, you're right, of course, that the, our, our ultimate, our needs are fulfilled, you know, in being loved by the Lord and knowing we are loved by the Lord and accepting who we are as created in the image and likeness of God. And yet also sinful people, both of us in a relationship, and I think that's where the couple needs to to remind themselves of that to not only pray individually, you know, but to pray as a couple for the grace to live out their married life together. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's to place yourselves humbly before the Lord and ask for the strength to live out this life that He's given you, right? And to rely upon the grace of the sacrament of marriage that you've entered into. Mm-hmm. He's there to help you. He's your greatest right. ally. Mm-hmm. Right? He wants to help you. Doesn't mean by entering into the sacrament of marriage that somehow you're not you're immune to difficulties. But what it does mean is that you have the greatest ally possible to help you through them. Right. The grace. And think how many, how many weddings we go to today that aren't religious weddings. They're totally right. secular. You know, you can go on the Internet now and and get certified to to do a wedding, you know, <laughs> for for a friend. You can be the presider at an actual legal ceremony uh, that could be totally secular. We've been to some ceremonies like that, and it's 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 so sad to think how many couples today think they can go into a marriage without the help of God. Right. You know that 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 third the tie that binds the third cord that is going to hold that relationship together is really not present. It's it's very sad, and of course we have a generation of young people growing up in families where. God is not present. So not only do they not have good role models in communication and problem solving and so forth, but they don't have the root of the faith. Uh, so, so it's a very difficult culture that our children are growing up in, of course. And uh, thank God we have people like you. Thank you, Perry and Marissa, for being with us to share uh, the, the struggles of a godly couple <laughs> as as we're trying to live out that vocation of marriage. Thank you so much for being with us today. I wish we had more time to discuss, uh, but we do have programs in our archives with Dr. Perry and Marissa, and I hope you will take the opportunity to listen to them at stgabrielradio.com. Thank you for being with us today on The Family Sanctuary. I'm your host, Peggy Hartshorn. Our program is broadcast at 1230 every Monday and 2 o'clock on Sundays. So please join us again to strengthen our families and make them sanctuaries of life as God intended. Family Sanctuary is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Family Sanctuary with Peggy Hartshorn are available at stgabrielradio.com. Veni Sancti